0: John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes.
1: The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a good God. You not only forgive us, but you brought your own son. You gave us your only son to take the place for our punishment. And Lord, in that grace, in that mercy, we find love. And when we find that love, we realize we're called to this life as a response of this incredible grace. So Lord, remind us of who we are in you. Remind us of the calling and what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and teach us your words so clearly, so truthfully that it would honor you and that it would bless and encourage your church. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hi, good morning again. And we'll just jump right into it. There's a video out right now along the internet, and it was filmed by the New Yorker magazine. And they were able to have a reporter inside the Capitol on January 6th. And so this video, when I watched it, kind of shook me to the core. Because just to remind us, we probably all know this, uh, these, weren't, these weren't just political parties. These were, these were hundreds of people who broke into the Capitol, breaking down the windows, breaking down the doors, pushing through the police line and hurting them in the process, and with the intent of hanging our Vice President, Mike Pence, and some of the senators. And they made their way into the chambers of, of the House, the Senate, the Senate chambers, and when they got there, they did something that was a little bit surprising. They prayed in Jesus' name. And so this is the photo of them. Um, they broke in, and they said, one of them shouted, Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. To which this person responded, that's right, that's right, let's pray. And they all took off their hats. And somebody uh, was able to capture the words, and these are some of the words spoken in the prayer. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, creator God, you could tell they had some Christian background, for filling this chamber with your white love and light, with your white light of harmony. They go on, thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you, yes, Lord, and that love Christ, and that we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America to go down. Uh, And then he says, thank you for allowing us to get rid of communists, the globalists, and traitors within our government. So they saw this as a victory that God gave them, and they're thanking God. And so it almost sounds Christian. I mean, they're invoking Jesus' name. They're praying in Christ. They even use the theological omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. And it sounds like, all right, that sounds Christian. They're having a little mini worship if it wasn't for the fact that it's just loaded with nationalism, that is not the same thing as Christianity, and it completely contradicts everything that Jesus Christ taught and did. And so, what struck me was, these are Christians, and I was thinking, wait a minute, you don't represent me and the church and the Christians that I know. I mean, Jesus Christ doesn't demand that we knock down the government and win this world with military force. In fact, if you looked at the early Christians, the reason why they were able to overcome Rome's uh, martyrdom uh, of martyring Christians was completely out of grace, love, turning the cheek and offering themselves as servants. And so it made me think, what does it mean to be Christian? And so we're going through 1 John and it's appropriate because in First John, we see a church that has been torn apart by false teachers. And people have gone with these false teachers, and they believed things about Jesus that were completely made up by the Gnostics. One of them, as we mentioned, was that Jesus never was physically human. He just appeared to suffer and die. He was just a ghost because physical matter is evil, and God would not take physical form. And so that did this ripple effect of, of eroding and distorting the message of Christianity. And so I wanted to address John, First John chapter 2. And in this chapter, we see what does it really mean? What does it look like to become, to be a Christian? What does it mean to be Christian anymore? Is it just I, I have a name affiliation with a membership? Does that make me a Christian? I have a title. I'm a deacon, elder. I taught Bible study, so I must be a Christian. And when we look at what John describes as those who are in Christ, those who know Christ, we see some traits. And these are meant to self-examine, not for you and me to observe and critique others, but for us as a church to say, are these traits what mark me as a follower of Christ who is in him? So let's turn into it. The first trait we see is, That for these followers of Christ, the activity of sin decreases. The activity of sin, let's go into that. John writes, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. At first, that scares me. It sounds like John is saying there's going to be a moment where in our lives we can attain absolute sinlessness. But obviously that's not what he means because in the previous chapter verse 8 he just told us if you claim to be without sin you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you so what is he saying he's saying that for christians his desire for us is to see sin and the power of it and the activity of it and our consumption our desire for it slowly becomes less appealing i find that true physically when i exercise when i run when i'm working out when i'm in a regiment whether it was college many many years ago or maybe a few years ago i notice that when i drive by mcdonald's or burger king i don't go ooh. i actually go yuck because my body's becoming healthy and i don't want to put that stuff in my body i think that's the same way with spirituality when we draw close to christ when we're in Christ, the desire, the appetite for sin goes away. Now, sadly, sin will never fully go away, but the appetite. So, Eugene Peterson, he translates it this way, verse 1, I write this, dear children, to guide you out of sin. So, for Christians, one of the marks that we see in ourselves is our desire and our activity of sin does start waning. The longing fades. And so, what this implies for us, and I want to really speak to us, is we lose the excuse to sin as well. What I mean is this. I've heard this statement. I, I made it too. Maybe you did. Have you heard this? I'm only human. Everyone makes a mistake or God forgives. And these are all even pious statements, and they're true. But I want to ask you, do you make these statements To turn your heart back to the grace of God? Or do you make these statements as an excuse to or license to keep sinning? So the question is not, does God forgive? Of course he forgives. But from our perspective, do we use that as a license to continue in sin? And so the quality that John is reminding of of us is, do not let grace of God be this cheap grace. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace is when grace is without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. It means we live this Christian life completely in grace so that it makes us do anything we want. We continue in sin because we're covered. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, you may need to recheck That may not be grace. That may be cheap grace, this license. Um, Just as a real-life example, we do this well because I have a wife who's forgiving and understanding. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. And so, but if that's the case, since she forgives me all the time, does that mean I continue to hurt her and sin against her and betray her? Of course not. I have wonderful children who are forgiving and understanding. Does that mean that I can continue hurting them and sinning against them because they, I know they'll forgive me? We know that. We know that that's not what you do. And what John is saying is, how much more to a holy God that we are forgiven, I say this to you so that you may not sin. We need to hear that this morning. John's saying to us, stop sinning. And so, Again, he doesn't mean be perfectly sinless because we're we're tainted by sin. But what he's saying is stop continuing in sin, stop excusing your sin, stop desiring sin and seek purity. And we know John knows we sin because right after that in verse 1 and 2, he says, "But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin." And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. He throws that in there to say, remember the gospel. That when we, do, when we do sin, and when we sin, the fallback, as we try our best to live for purity and for pleasing God, and we stumble along the way, remember the propitiation of Christ. That he took on the wrath of God for your sin and my sin once and for all. So you, when I sin, what do I do? I don't beat myself up. I get on my knees and I turn to Christ again. I say, Lord, your cross transform me. This is living by the grace of the cross. And so the activity of sin decreases in us. And we don't live out just a Christian life that says, I'm a Christian. Yeah, that's it. I went through that. Been there, done that. And we keep sinning. So second, the desire to obey God's word increases. So, sin decreases, the desire to obey God's word increases. Now, listen carefully. The desire to obey God's word increases. Like, you want to obey. So, verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know him. I like that preface. John wants you to know, how do you know you you really know Jesus Christ? He tells us the answer. This is like a catechism question. How do I know I, I know Christ? Answer, if we keep His commandments. Simple. How do we know I'm a Christian? Well, because my name's on the church registry roll. Oh, because I helped out with VBS once. Oh, because I give to the poor and I'm a good person. No. And by this, we know we have come to know Him. We keep His commandments. The word know is not an intellectual understanding. Like, I know John Lennon. I know Bon Jovi, I know Motley Crue. I know all these heavy metal bands. Like, yeah, that's one thing. The know here is this intimate knowledge. It connects with the Hebrew word to know, which is yada, and it implies even the relationship that a married man and a woman have together. They know everything about each other. It's this deep intimate know. So, for example, John James chapter 2 verse 19, Demons know about God, and they shudder. They know of God, but they don't intimately know God. They are sworn enemies to God. So the question for you and me is, do I know Jesus Christ in this way, and do I yearn to obey his commands? The evidence of one knowing Christ is that they desire to keep his commands. Jesus even says in John 14, 21, whoever keeps my commands and Whoever knows my commands and keeps them, they are the ones that loves me. Wow. Jesus measures and he clarifies that love to Christ, love to him, is displayed in your and my desire to keep his commands. Again, not cheap grace like, oh, but I'm human. I I make mistakes. No, it's I want to be pure. I want to follow you. So just an example, again, for this one is, um, and I'm going to say something that hopefully won't shock people, but a um, long time ago, my number two, Jamie, was two years old. And I used to say a phrase that I should not say, just, it's just terrible. It, it's, it's borderline cussing, and I'm just being, I'm confessing to the church right now. And that phrase was, what the heck? So if you have kids, this is PG-13. And so I used to say that for everything without even knowing it. And one day, Kathy and I are having a meal or we're talking in the kitchen, and down the hallway, I hear this cute little girl's voice repeating over and over and over again, playing with her toys. What the heck? Like that, over. And and Kathy and I made eye contact, blood drained from my face, and I was just shocked in horror because she had just learned to talk. And the phrases coming out of her mouth was what she heard her father say. And so I, I realize that when we, when we draw near to Christ, we want to obey. When we draw near to Christ, we want to become like him. And so this is the third trait that kind of overlaps together. We become like Christ. We become like Christ more and more. And so, so kinda, I kind of mixed up this order a little bit, but when we look at Christ and we say, hey, I want to obey you, Jesus, it's kind of like children. Like, why do your children obey you? Sometimes it could be out of fear. Sometimes it could be because you're an authority. But here's where I want to get to. I want my children to obey me, and this exhibits my parental skills, because they love me. Not because they have to, but because they want to. I find that working in me with my parents in New Jersey. I don't want to obey them because I have to, but I obey them now because I want to, because I love them. And so this is why Jesus says, whoever holds my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And so so this... All mixes together that we are looking, not only obeying God and becoming growing in obedience, but we become more and more like Jesus. Verse 5 and 6, by this we may know that we are in him. So now that we know him, now what does it look like to be in Christ? Notice he never says a church membership, like in the way that you and I know. He says this, this deep intimacy with Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so children follow their parents, unfortunately. We follow our friends who we walk with. But when we are in Christ, guess what happens to us? We become more and more like Christ. Now, some of you should be asking this. Wait a minute. Hold the phone here. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's hard. How do we do that? How do we walk as Jesus did? I mean, he's God. He got nailed to the cross, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How can I do that? And so as we walk with Christ, we have to be careful. The, the point of tension is not try harder. You've got to start getting this straight. No. I'll, I'll let Oswald Chambers say it. He says this. The Sermon on the Mount is not an ideal It is a statement of what will happen in me when Jesus Christ has altered my disposition and put in a disposition like his own. See, becoming like Christ is a work that the Holy Spirit does in us, that Jesus does in us. Jesus Christ is the only one who can fulfill the Sermon on the Mount, and he did by carrying that cross to Calvary. We become like Christ when we offer ourselves to him. And Jesus puts in us his disposition. The good news is not you're a Christian, so you better get your act straight. You're a Christian, so may your walk be with Christ so intimate that he puts in you more and more of him. And so John wraps all this up in verse 7-11 with this illustration Beloved, I am writing to you not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. Verse 9. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's almost as if John is giving a case study of what all of this looks like. So if you say you're a Christian, but you harbor hatred, you've forgotten the commandment, you've forgotten Christ... And you live as if you live in the darkness. And it's clear what we call ourselves has no merit in the reality of what we are. What we exhibit in the decisions we make and how we choose to guard our hearts, deal with sin, and take on Christ's word. Those exhibit the validity that we know him, that we are in him. And so to withhold mercy from those who need your mercy reveals you never knew Christ's mercy. To withhold, Christ's forgiv- to withhold forgiveness for others means we never knew and understand Christ's forgiveness for me. And to hate somebody means we never fully understood Jesus' unconditional love, sacrificial love for you. And so everyone... I know Christians who love going to worships. They love going to those big gatherings. Amazing praise teams. If you look, read First John, what is he saying? That's nice. But do you despise your sins? Do you live for obedience to God's word? And do you look more and more like Christ? Little by little. just You don't have to be changed overnight. But in you, do you exhibit when people say, What is it about you? I don't know, but I do know one thing. Christ lives in me, and he can have everything he wants because he paid it all. And so this is what John is saying, that no matter what we say of ourselves, when we harbor hatred and we have disagreements where we want to literally kill somebody and churches are torn apart, we need to repent and go back. What does it mean to be in Christ as we wrap up in the beginning of this chapter John said my dear children it's like this elderly man who looks at his kids and goes I'm about to die and I love you guys so much I need you to know this and those words he says love like Christ be like Christ and follow and obey Christ Lent begins this coming Wednesday with Ash Wednesday we're not having a special Ash Wednesday service this year but I want to challenge you, what are some ways that you can stop sinning? What are some ways that you could lay sin at the cross of Christ and say, Lord, I despise this because I know you died for it. What are some ways we can gain in, during this Lent by living in obedience? And I would recommend get a Bible, get a devotional, and go find time with God alone in solitude as you listen to his word. And as you do that, may you walk with Christ and may he nurture in you a likeness that only comes from him. Amen.